Church and for anyone who's watching us for the very first time we want to give you a warm welcome to our service online. I know many of you are probably thinking right now why on earth is your Christmas tree still up? Well it makes my wife happy, it's good to look at in January and we like it. We're probably gonna have it all year round, we'll see. But today we're going to worship God. We're here, we're going to worship God wherever you may be today. We're going to worship God in spirit and in truth as Martin spoke about last week. And we're going to give God the praise and glory that he deserves. Today is a communion service. So you might want to get your bread and your wine ready as we partake in communion. But before we do any other thing, let's go to this week's SBC News. SBC News. I'm Libby and I'm Hilary. Episode 5 of Ask the Minister podcast is now live. You can listen on our website or on most podcast providers. Also, did you know that Denzel and Jemima have their own seven-day devotional? Yes, they do. You can find it on New Version website and app. Has there been a gaping hole in your Thursday evening since the SBC chat series finished? Starting on Thursday the 21st of January at 7pm, we are beginning a new video resource called The Lord's Prayer. Here is a short video from Martin. Hi, I'm Martin. I'm the Minister in Training at Selsdon Baptist Church. Starting on the 21st of January and continuing to the 25th of March, um, we're creating a new video resource um, to encourage us as a church to pray together. Each week um, we will post a video on, on the Thursday at 7 o'clock and the focus will be the Lord's Prayer. Uh, a member of our church will pray that. Pick out a section that stands out to them and then this will guide us through our communal prayers. I'd really like to encourage you to take part in this, uh, to join us on Thursdays at seven o'clock and join us in prayers to our Lord. Already the season of Lent will shortly be upon us. As in previous years, Churches Together in Selsdon and Addington, CTSA, are providing the opportunity for people from different CTSA congregations to meet and discuss a Christian book during Lent. This year, the group will meet on Zoom and the book is Bridging the Gaps by our very own Trevor Neal. Even if you have read the book before, you may find discussing it in a group setting to be insightful. To find out more information and to sign up, please see the church news email 
or the latest news on our website. Calling all ladies! The Care for the Family, Free to Be, What Does Freedom Really Look Like? looks like a brilliant event and includes Cathy Madavan, who many of us enjoyed hearing at SBC last year. There is another chance to watch the conference any time between the 15th and the 21st of February. There is no set charge, although you need to book and they will ask for a voluntary donation towards costs if you are able. Go to the Care for the Family website for more details. Are you still saving your plastic milk tops, which are melted and made into toys with disabled children? Please get them to Barbara Burns. Barbara's address is in the church directory. There is a white tray in their porch where you may leave them. No need to ring the bell. Denzel will continue the new series of Second Thoughts Reflections this Tuesday, the 19th of January at seven o'clock on the SBC YouTube channel. Why not tune in and find out what it's all about? And finally, did you make a New Year's resolution to contribute to our monthly magazine? Either something you've read or seen or your own thoughts? If so, we'd be delighted to hear from you along with our regular contributors. The deadline for the articles for the February edition of Insight is Wednesday the 20th of January for distribution on Thursday the 28th of January. Please send your items to the email on screen now or ring Eleanor, see directory. This has been SBC News. God bless. anybody here excited about the Lord? Has anybody got a, a praise to welcome him into this place? Let's join together and enjoy a time of worship with the Lord right now. He's here for us and we're here for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
taken from Luke chapter 14 verse 25 to 35. The cost of discipleship. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish. All who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will sit down, will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt without, salt without taste is worthless. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has heard, let him hear. I don't know about you, but over the last couple of years, I've been quite wary of sales workers that seem to be selling me products that look too good to be true. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a similar situation like I have, where maybe there's a new energy provider and they're offering you a far more better deal than your current energy provider. And the deal seems and looks so amazing. They're giving you three months of this, free this, you know, better quality, better quality product, uh, getting more for your money, and it's cheaper. Amazing. And the way this sales worker is pitching this new product seems so amazing. They're very funny. They're relatable. They're giving you so many new perks. You get free this and free that. 
and you want to buy the product right away. You're hearing all of these amazing things and it's cheaper. You want to buy the product right away. So you sign the agreement without looking at the terms and condition or without reading the fine print. And you're happy, you go away happy, you've just got a new deal. You're saving some money and it seems to be a far more better deal. Two months later, you get a bill through the post and it's a much higher bill than you expected. So you call the energy provider quite annoyed and they explain to you that, you know, didn't you read the terms and conditions? It's after two months you get this deal and afterwards we will review how you use your energy and it will go, the price will go up accordingly. Now you're thinking, why didn't this sales worker tell me this? Why didn't they communicate this to me? If they did, I probably wouldn't have got this product. Now, I am speaking from experience. This has happened to me so many times. I've been enticed so many times by the new deals and ways to save money. That I can sometimes can fall into that trap. So now when I'm walking down Credit High Street or, or Credit Shopping Center and someone approaches me with a, a really fancy, new, appealing deal, I want to know what's in the product. I want to know every single detail so I know what I'm getting myself into. The product may not be bad, I just want to know if it's right for me. It might be good for other people, but I want to know if it's right for me. So I don't want the sales worker to hold back from key information. Tell me as it is. I want to know so I know what I'm getting myself into. You see, when I was reflecting on this, I realized that sometimes as Christians, we do this with the gospel. Sometimes as Christians, we hold back key information about Jesus and what Jesus requires from us. We want the gospel to sound appealing. So there's key information that we miss out when we communicate the gospel. We talk about how Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you to be happy. Jesus wants to give you a plan and a purpose. Jesus wants you to have everything you need and everything you want. Jesus wants to bring you joy. Everything in your life is messed up. Okay, come to Jesus and he will make everything great. See, some of these things are true. And yes, certainly we need to communicate these truths to people. But I've realized with some people, they hold back from key information about Jesus and what Jesus requires from us. The gospel message seems about what you can come and get, but never about what you have to give to Jesus. But actually, Jesus requires your life. Jesus requires your commitment. Jesus requires your love. And it seems like we have this fear that people will turn away from our message. We have this fear that the gospel won't look appealing so people won't come. We have a fear that the, the gospel may sound boring so we withhold back key information about what Jesus requires from us, about the cost of following Jesus. See, the danger of this, that, of this is that you could be setting up people to fail. Setting up people to fail. Because this isn't the full message. You've missed out what Jesus wants from us. See, I remember when I was younger, when I first became a Christian, I was part of this, this church that loved evangelism and they encouraged young people to go out and evangelize. And I remember getting up every single Saturday, getting ready, going to Crane Town Centre with a group of young Christians and communicating the gospel in a very creative way. 
that every Saturday we will be promoting a concert that we will be holding in the evening that young people can come and hear music, rap and all sorts of um, art. So I remember going every single Saturday and we would have conversations with people, one-to-one -one conversations with people. And I kid you not, there were so many people that came to faith or so many people that said the prayer of confession or, or prayer of commitment. So many young people, every time we went out on the streets, we saw young people saying the prayer of faith. And it made evangelism seem so easy. I mean, we were taught a particular way to communicate the gospel. We would give this pitch and people would then say the prayer. It was that easy. But over the probably a couple of months, I realized that something was missing. Something wasn't quite right. There's no way that evangelism in England can be so easy that we just go, we give this pitch and people say the prayer of faith. Especially young people say the prayer of faith. And I just couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew there was something wrong. But over time, I realized that what was wrong, I saw it in a, in a particular way when I saw what was happening to these new Christians. There was something interesting. There was always a pattern that was happening to these new Christians that seemed to come to, to faith and come to church. They would come to church and be happy. They seemed to be committed. They seemed to be excited. They had this buzz. But then something in their life, a challenging situation in their life occurs and they leave the faith. They don't just leave the church, but they leave the faith. They no longer believe in Jesus. And it used to baffle me, like, how can you do it? How can you do this? They, they seem so committed, but then something difficult comes their way and, and they leave Christianity. And I realized what the problem was. The problem was our message. Our message was all about how Jesus will bless you and make you happy and give you everything you want and give you everything you need and how life will be so perfect when you come to Jesus. And this is what they bought into. We never communicated the cost of following Jesus. We never communicated that, yes, it's a joy, but it can also be a challenge. People will persecute you. People will laugh at you. Life will be difficult. We never communicated that Jesus requires us to give your life, our lives to him. But they didn't buy into that. They didn't come to Christianity for that reason. They came to faith because they came to Jesus because of what they could get from Jesus. Oh, you're saying Jesus can make me happy? Give me this, give me that, give me this. And that's all, all I have to do is say a prayer. Why not? So as soon as something difficult came their way, they left their faith because that's not what they bought into. I reflected on that and I left that church and I found a, a more Bible teaching church and we would go out and we would communicate the gospel effectively. We would share that actually Jesus does want you to be happy. He wants to give you a plan and a purpose. He wants to give you identity, but he requires your life, a commitment. And this is what happens in a relationship. We will communicate that. Now, we didn't see as many young people come to faith or people in general come to faith like my last church. But we saw more people who were committed to the Christian faith that lasted longer, that, that knew what they were getting themselves into, despite the challenging situations that came their way. You see, there is a cost to be a disciple. 
And it was interesting when I read Luke chapter 14 verses 25 to 35, our passage today, I was quite amazed by Jesus's method of recruiting new disciples. Jesus was surrounded by so many people that wanted to follow him. They were excited to follow Jesus. The text doesn't tell us why they were excited to follow Jesus, but we can assume that they were amazed by Jesus's wisdom and his teachings. I mean, just before this passage, Jesus went and he basically challenged the Pharisees. He made them silent. No other person could do that. No one dared challenge the Pharisees, these religious people. But Jesus, in his wisdom, to the point he even silenced these Pharisees, these religious people, these wise people. They were amazed by this and they wanted to follow Jesus. But Jesus does something interesting. Jesus turns to this crowd who seems so excited to follow him. These people that wanted to be part of the noise, they wanted to be part of the the talk of the town, the, the hype. And then Jesus gives them a criteria of what kind of disciple he wants. Jesus wasn't so concerned about numbers, all about big crowds just coming for the sake of coming for what they can get. Jesus was concerned about looking for long-lasting, effective disciples that will be on his team. And then Jesus gives what we would see as the worst Christian sales pitch. The most unappealing sales pitch. And Jesus is communicating in such an extreme way what kind of disciple he's looking for. So I want us to look at this, but I want us to look at it in three stages because there is a lot of challenging words that come from Jesus's mouth that I want us to break down and understand what he's actually communicating. So I want to look at this in three stages. So I want to look at it first from verses 26. Listen to these challenging words from Jesus. He says to the crowd, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own lives, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. Goodness me, challenging words from Jesus. But let's just look at the first criteria. For a disciple of Jesus, they need to hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even their own lives. Now, I wonder how many people checked out when Jesus said those words. This is not what I want to sign up to. What on earth? I wonder how many people left when Jesus opened his mouth and said these words. These are extreme words from Jesus. No other rabbi was requesting this as a requirement to be a disciple. But but Jesus was. And I think reading this, it can sound a bit confusing. Because didn't Jesus say we should honour our father and our mothers? Didn't Jesus say we should love people, even loving our enemies? Then why is Jesus telling us to, to, if you want to be a disciple, we need to hate our, our father and mother? Our friends, our family, people who are close to us. Why is he saying these words? Don't worry, Jesus isn't contradicting himself. He's making himself clear in a very extreme way. You see, when Jesus uses the word hate, he's using a systemic expression for loving less. So he's not actually saying, he doesn't literally mean that you should hate your mother and your father. 
and your close family. He's saying that a disciple of his shouldn't love these important people more than they love him. Jesus has to come first. Jesus is saying a disciple needs to put him above every other key relationship, even our own lives. This is a challenge. But why is Jesus saying this? Why is this a requirement for a disciple of Jesus? I believe it's because when the time comes, when you have to choose between your personal interests and the interests of Jesus, you will always pick his. Christians who haven't placed Jesus as their number one priority will always pick their interest above his. And Jesus is saying there is no room for that. There will come a time where you have to choose between your family and Jesus like so many people around the world have to do. So many people who will be disowned by their loved ones. In those situations where we have to pick between your family, your loved ones and Jesus, in terms of commitment, Jesus is looking for people that will always choose him. People who are loyal to Jesus first. So there's no room where a situation comes where your family, your loved ones, people who love you so much are saying, no, you can't follow Jesus anymore. We don't want you to follow Jesus. Jesus is saying in those situations, you have to pick him if you want to be his disciples. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to be a disciple. Secondly, in verses 27, he says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciples now i know for certain that there were so many people who checked out at this point because this seems to be one of the most extreme challenges from jesus from for us this may sound a bit weird and confusing because we don't particularly live in that context but jesus's original hearers understood exactly what jesus meant when he said these words see carrying a cross always led to death on a cross no one carried a cross for fun and the first hearers of Jesus, they, they understood this. They understood that the cross was used as an instrument of torture, of death and humiliation. And that's what the Romans did when someone was going to be punished on the cross. They would have to carry their own cross and then they would be killed on that cross. So if anyone took up a cross, he never came back. It was a one-way journey. It's interesting that Jesus says, carry your cross, not the cross, but your cross, because these challenges will come in different ways. But I find it interesting that Jesus is saying that if you're, if you're not willing to, to die for Jesus, to die for this and be humiliated for your faith, be laughed at, then you cannot be my disciples. That's his words. Jesus doesn't say, well, you can become a junior disciple or you can become a minor disciple or I'll put you on the waiting list. No, he says you cannot be my disciples if you're not willing to give your life in this particular way. So anyone hearing this will certainly think twice about becoming a disciple. Think about it. Jesus' 12 disciples heard these words and they still committed to following Jesus as a disciple. And we see all throughout the New Testament, through the book of Acts, we see they went through harsh persecution. Some of them faced death and many of them faced extreme humiliation. This was the cost of following Jesus. Now, this made being a disciple very serious. It wasn't a joke. 
It wasn't about joining the hype of the day. It wasn't a, a, about joining um, the super uh, fun thing to do at that particular day, the most popular thing to do that day. No, giving up your life for Jesus was what it meant to be a disciple. This is what Jesus wanted of his disciples, people who would give their lives for him, even to the point of death and humiliation. Thirdly, Jesus communicates over and over again to count the cost. Jesus clearly doesn't want people to rush the decision to become a disciple. He wants them to, to think about it because there is a cost. He doesn't want them to rush into this decision. He, makes, wants it to, he wants them to think about it because there is a cost. And Jesus makes what this cost is very clear in this passage. So he gives them two parables. The first one he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Wouldn't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Jesus is looking for disciples who will stick with him right to the very end. People who have thought about this commitment and they say, I want to go any, anyways, and they're committed to it, even when things get hard. They counted the cost, they know it will be difficult, and when those difficult times come, they're still committing to Jesus. Another parable that Jesus gives, he says in verses 31, Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Would he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. You see, in this parable, the king doesn't make a, a hasty decision that he's clearly not prepared for. In the same way, Jesus doesn't want us to make a hasty decision about becoming a disciple, which we're clearly, clearly not prepared for. He wants us to think about the cost. And then Jesus gives them this final big challenge in, in verses 33. He says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. As disciples, Jesus wants us to entrust everything about who we are, what we have, what we own to Jesus. This means that being a disciple of Jesus is not a part-time commitment, but it's a whole life commitment. Is a commitment where you are saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. So I'm giving everything about who I am, how I relate with people, my character, my possessions, the things that I see as important, I'm giving them to you. And not just within the church context, but by the way we live our lives, how we submit to Jesus in every single decision that we make. So what does this look like for us? What does being a disciple in 2021 look like for us, according to Luke chapter 14? To be honest, nothing has changed. I think sometimes we, we think that when Jesus said some words thousands of years ago to a particular people who had a different culture, then it, you know, it doesn't really apply to us. It doesn't really uh, carry the same weight. And of course, there are certain passages that we can't directly apply to our lives today. But this isn't one of those passages. This is still the requirement to become a disciple. Jesus is still saying these are his requirement. 
Jesus is still looking for people that will put him first above every other relationship. Jesus is still looking for disciples that will be totally committed to him, despite how hard things get. Jesus is looking for people who will submit to his ways, through his words. People will say, this is what Jesus says, I am going to do it. Jesus is looking for people that will give his life to him. Jesus is looking for people that will be radical. Jesus is looking for people who are ready to be humiliated, who are ready to even face persecution, who are ready to face death like so many people around our world are facing today. Jesus is still looking for disciples who will count the cost. People who will count the cost. So what does this mean for Selzen Baptist Church today? What does this look like for us today? I believe we want the same desire. We should want the same desire. We shouldn't be a church that's all about the numbers. Numbers is great, but we want to be a church that is producing effective, long-lasting, committed disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to be a group of radical people that put Jesus above everything, that are coming together, who are willing to submit to Jesus and do great things for Jesus. This is what I desire to see at Selzen Baptist Church. We want to be people of Jesus who are dedicated to him, dedicated to him through our, our time, our money, our resources, our wisdom, everything about who we are. We are coming together as a family who are dedicated to Jesus. People who have counted the cost, no matter how challenging things get, we're still committed to Jesus. So before we close, I think there's a few things that we can reflect on. And I must say, when I was reading this passage, I was so challenged. I was reminded of the, of the cost it is to, to follow Jesus. The cost of being a disciple. And maybe we need to think about that today. Maybe we've actually been Christians for, for such a long time, but we haven't actually thought about the cost of following Jesus. Maybe you're more of a follower than a disciple. It's possible, to, it's possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple. Those people followed Jesus. Many people followed Jesus, but they weren't disciples. They came for what they can get from Jesus, not to give their lives to him, not to be committed to him. And maybe you've been a Christian for, for so long, but you've actually come to church or, or related to God through a way that you can be blessed or a way that just makes you happy, a way that's just centered around you. Rather than be it being centered around Jesus. And maybe today you, you want to be a disciple. Someone who's radical. Someone who loves God. Someone who's committed to God. Maybe this is what you want to think about today. Maybe you want to count the cost. These are not my words. I thank God they're not my words. These are Jesus' requirement for a disciple. But, but let me encourage you. Being a disciple is amazing. Being a follower of Jesus is rewarding, not just on earth, but also for eternity. An eternal award that God will give to those who faithfully serve him to the end. It is a great joy to be in partnership, to work for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is a great joy, but it comes at a cost. And that cost is our lives. Brothers and sisters, it's not a burden 
to give your life to Jesus. In fact, it's the greatest place you can give your life is to Jesus. The greatest place you can give your life is to Jesus. But the cost is giving your life. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. I know that this word is a challenging word, Lord, but we can't escape it. I believe, Lord, you want to communicate to your church today and, and call out people for a radical discipleship, to be radical disciples for you, Lord, who put you above every other person, even above our own lives, Lord. Help us to see that this is not a burden. This is not uh, torture, but this is the greatest thing we can do as Christians, Lord. Our reward is great. Our purpose is great. Our value is great. But God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for selves and Lord, that you are taking us through a journey. But Lord, you want to take us through this journey as radical disciples, as disciples that are committed to you, Lord, through our resources, through all our, our things that we have that are precious to us, Lord. We want to offer to you so that you can work in our lives and be glorified through our lives, Lord Jesus. So God, I thank you for this word. I pray we will reflect on it as we go about this week. In your name I pray. Amen.
So brothers and sisters, we now come before God uh, in a time of communion. And we don't come as strangers, but as disciples, as people that know Jesus, people who are called disciples, people who have counted the cost. So maybe before uh, we take communion, before we remember the body of Christ which was broken for us and the blood which was shed for us all, maybe this is a perfect time for you to pause and to ask God for his forgiveness. Maybe throughout this week you've thought of ungodly things, you've done ungodly things, and you want to come before God with, with a clear heart, and you want to ask God to forgive you of all your sins. It may be an opportunity for you just to pause for a few moments to do that now. So let's continue to be uh, in the mode of reflecting on Jesus, reflecting on his goodness, reflecting on his body and his blood which was shed for us. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you meet in remembrance of me. So in your own time, I want you to, to take the bread, which represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us, and take and eat and remember all that Jesus has done for us. And again, in your own time, uh, just take up the wine, which represents Jesus's blood, which was shed for us. In your own time, drink and remember all that Jesus has done for us. Now, as we continue to reflect, let's go into a time of prayer. So as we come into a time of prayer, I want us to pray for a few things. I want us to pray for our world, and I also want us to pray for our local congregation, our family, Cells and Baptist Church. We want to pray for those who are, are grieving uh, during this difficult time. We want to pray for those who are sick uh, during this time. And we also want to pray for our, our frontline workers. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for your mercy, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for all the great things that come from who you are, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we know our world is in a sense grieving. Our world is feeling pain in many different ways, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that during this difficult time, during this dark time that we face, Lord, we pray that you will shine even more, Lord, that your glory will be seen in so many different ways, Lord. And we even pray that you will use us as your disciples to really glorify your name, to really show your glory in different ways, Lord Jesus. God, we know we can only get through this difficult time through you, Lord. Well, we need you to comfort us, Lord. We need your peace. We need your joy, Lord God. We need your reassurance. We need your words. 
let's be reminded of this as we go through our various challenges, Lord. And God, we want to lift ourselves and Baptist Church, Lord. We thank you for your church, which you love, Lord. And we want to pray for those now who are grieving. We pray particularly for the family of our dear sister Lorna uh, and her husband Brian, Lord, who's grieving at this particular time, Lord. We just pray, Lord, again, that your comfort, your peace will be upon them, Lord. We sometimes know that human comfort isn't always enough. And sometimes we need your touch. We need your touch of peace. We need your touch of comfort. So, Lord, we just pray, Lord, you release these things uh, to the family of Lorna. And Heavenly Father, we pray for Mabel, Lord, as she's lost her older sister, Lord God. We just pray for her and the family as they grieve in this difficult time. God of peace, God of comfort. Again, we just pray uh, that you will show your peace and comfort amongst them right now, Lord. That, Lord, they will see your goodness in this difficult time, Lord. And God, we pray for all those who are sick, Lord. There are many in our churches, Lord, and, and many um, in our church families, Lord, uh, who are unwell at this particular time. We just want to use a few of them as a point of contact, Lord, and we just pray for, for their recovery, Lord Jesus. We want to pray uh, for John and Elizabeth. We want to pray for Brian Reeves and Kathleen Reeves, Lord. We want to pray for uh, Bob Yasley, Lord, and, and any other person I've missed, Lord, who you know. Uh, we just pray as they recover from COVID and various illnesses, Lord. We just pray, God of healing, uh, God of all power, Lord. We just pray your healing touch be upon them, Lord. The Lord, you allow them to recover in such a supernatural way, Lord. And Lord, we just pray as a church, we will continue to pray for our brothers and sisters who are sick. And Lord, finally, Lord, I just want to offer, Lord, uh, our frontline workers within our church. Uh, there are a few, Lord, and we want to continue to pray for them, Lord, for your strength to be upon them, Lord. We pray uh, for Mark, Lord, Ridgeway, Lord. We pray for, for Karen, Lord. We pray for Hilary Howard, Lord, and, and others who have missed out, Lord, who are working uh, in our front lines in this difficult time, Lord. We just pray for your protection uh, to be upon them, Lord. We really pray for your hand of protection to be upon them, Lord, uh, as they serve the community, as they serve in their different roles at this particular time, Lord. We just pray again and again for your protection to be upon them, Lord, that you really honour them in this time and really bless them and their families as they serve you in this particular way. God, we pray for all of these things in your precious name. Amen.
Brothers and sisters, I know it was a challenging word today, but I hope that you can really reflect throughout the week and what it means to be a disciple, counting the cost of being a disciple. I pray that you have an awesome week, a week that is full of God's love, God's peace, God's comfort in the midst of so much difficulties uh, that we are facing. Hopefully, next time you see me, my Christmas tree will be down. But either way, I pray you have a blessed week. God bless.